Chapter forty one of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter forty one. But in that hour of agony, the maid deserted not herself. Her very dread had calmed her, and her heart knew the whole horror, and its only part. Southey. As Mr. Graham had expressed in his letter the intention of being at the steamboat wharf in New York to meet his daughter and Gertrude on their arrival, Dr. Jeremy thought it unnecessary for him to accompany his charges further than Albany, where he could see them safely on their way, and then proceed to Boston with his wife over the Western Railroad. Mrs. Jeremy being now impatient to return home, and having, moreover, no disposition to revisit the great metropolis of New York during the warm weather. "'Good-bye, Gertie,' said the doctor, as he bade them farewell on the deck of one of the Hudson River boats. "'I'm afraid you've lost your heart in Saratoga. You don't look quite so bright as you did when we first arrived there. It can't have strayed far, however, I think, in such a place as that, so be sure and find it before I see you in Boston.' He had hardly gone, and it wanted a few minutes only of the time for the boat to start, when a gay group of fashionables made their appearance, talking and laughing too loud, as it seemed to Gertrude, to be well-bred.' and conspicuous among them was Miss Clinton, whose companions were evidently making her the subject of a great deal of wit and pleasantry, by which, although she feigned to be teased and half-offended, her smiling, blushing face gave evidence that she felt flattered and pleased. At length the significant gestures of some of the party, and a half-smothered hush, gave intimation of the approach of some one who must not overhear their remarks." and presently William Sullivan, with a travelling bag in his hand, a heavy shawl thrown over one arm, and his countenance grave, as if he had not quite recovered from the chagrin of the previous evening, appeared in sight, passed Gertrude, whose veil was drawn over her face, and joined Isabel, placing his burden on a chair which stood near. He had hardly commenced speaking to Miss Clinton, however, before the violent ringing of the bell gave notice to all but the passengers to quit the boat and he was compelled to make a hasty movement to depart. As he did so, he drew a step nearer Gertrude, a step further from her whom he was addressing, and the former plainly distinguished the closing words of his remark. "'Then if you will do your best to return on Thursday, I will try not to be impatient in the meantime.' A moment more, and the boat was on its way. Not, however, until a tall figure, who reached the landing just as she started, had, to the horror of the spectators, daringly leaped the gap that had already divided her from the shore, after which he sought the gentleman's saloon, threw himself upon a couch, drew a book from his pocket, and commenced reading. As soon as the boat was fairly under way, and quiet prevailed in their neighborhood, Emily spoke softly to Gertrude, and said, "'Didn't I just now hear Isabel Clinton's voice?' "'She is here,' replied Gertrude, on the opposite side of the deck, but sitting with her back towards us. "'Didn't she see us?' "'I believe she did,' answered Gertrude. She stood looking this way while her party were arranging their seats. "'And then chose one which commanded a different view?' "'Yes. Perhaps she is going to New York to meet Mrs. Graham.' "'Very possible,' replied Gertrude. "'I didn't think of it before.' There was then quite a pause. Emily appeared to be engaged in thought. Presently she asked, in the softest of whispers, "'Who was the gentleman who came and spoke to her just before the boat started?' "'William,' was the tremulous response. Emily pressed Gertrude's hand, and was silent. She, too, had overheard his farewell remark, and felt its significance. Several hours passed away, and they had proceeded some distance down the river, for the motion of the boat was rapid. 
too rapid as it seemed to Gertrude for safety. At first, occupied by her own thoughts, and unable to enjoy the beautiful scenery, which a few weeks previously had caused her such keen delight, she had sat, inattentive to all around, gazing down into the deep blue water, and communing with her own heart. Gradually, however, she was led to observe several circumstances, which excited so much curiosity, and finally so much alarm, that effectually aroused from the train of reflection she had been indulging, she had leisure only to take into view her own and Emily's present situation, and its probable consequences. Several times, since they left Albany, had the boat in which they were passengers passed and repassed another of similar size, construction, and speed, likewise responsibly charged with busy, living freight, and bound in the same direction. Occasionally during their headlong and reckless course, the contiguity of the two boats was such as to excite the serious alarm of one sex, and the unmeasured censure of the other. The rumor began to be circulated that they were racing, and racing desperately. Some few, regardless of danger, and entering upon the interest of the chase with an insane and foolish excitement, watched with pleased eagerness the mad career of rival ambition. But by far the majority of the company, including all persons of reason and sense, looked on in indignation and fear. The usual stopping-places on the river were either recklessly passed by, or only paused at, while, with indecent haste, passengers were shuffled backwards and forwards, at the risk of life and limb, their baggage, or somebody's else, unceremoniously flung after them, the panting, snorting engine in the meantime bellowing with rage at the check thus unwillingly imposed upon its freedom. Towards noon the fever of agitation had reached its height, and could not be wholly quieted even by the assurance from headquarters that there was no danger. Gertrude sat with her hand locked in Emily's, anxiously watching every indication of terror, and endeavouring to judge from the countenances and words of her most intelligent-looking fellow-travellers the actual degree of their insecurity. Emily, shut out from the sight of all that was going on, but rendered, through her acute hearing, vividly conscious of the prevailing alarm, was perfectly calm, though very pale, and from time to time questioned Gertrude concerning the vicinity of the other boat, a collision with which was the principal cause of fear. At length, their boat for a few moments distanced its competitor. The assurance of perfect safety was impressively asserted. Anxiety began to be relieved, and most of the passengers, being restored to their wonted composure, the various parties scattered about the deck, resumed their newspapers, or their conversation. The gay group to which Isabel Clinton belonged, several of whom had been the victims of nervous agitation and trembling, seemed reassured, and began once more to talk and laugh merrily. Emily, however, still looked pallid, and, as Gertrude fancied, a little faint. "'Let us go below, Emily,' said she. "'It appears now to be very quiet and safe. There are sofas in the ladies' cabin, where you can lie down, and we can both get a glass of water.' Emily assented, and in a few minutes was comfortably reclining in a corner of the saloon, where she and Gertrude remained undisturbed until dinner-time. They did not go to the dinner-table. It was not their intention from the first, and after the agitation of the morning was far from being desirable. So they stayed quietly where they were, while the greater part of the passengers crowded from every part of the boat, to invigorate themselves, after their fright, by the enjoyment of a comfortable meal, which they had reason to expect, as the racing appeared to have ceased, and everything was orderly and peaceable. Gertrude opened her travelling-basket, and took out the package which contained their luncheon. It was not one of those luncheons which careful mothers provide for their travelling families, choice in its material, and tempting in its arrangement. 
but consisted merely of such dry morsels as had been hastily collected and put up at their hotel in albany by dr jeremy's direction gertrude looked from the little withered slices of tongue and stale bread to the veteran sponge cakes which completed the assortment and was hesitating which she could most conscientiously recommend to emily when a civil-looking waiter appeared bearing a huge tray of refreshments which he placed upon a table close by at the same time turning to gertrude and asking if there was anything else he could serve her with this is not for us said gertrude you have made a mistake no mistake replied the man orders was for de blind lady and handsome young miss i only bays orders anything further miss gertrude dismissed the man with the assurance that they wanted nothing more and then turning to emily asked with an attempt at cheerfulness what they should do with this aladdin-like repast eat it my dear if you can said emily it is no doubt meant for us but to whom are we indebted for it to my blindness in your beauty i suppose said emily smiling she then continued with wonderful simplicity perhaps the chief steward or master of ceremonies took pity on our inability to come to dinner and so sent the dinner to us at any rate my child you must eat it before it is cold ay said gertrude conscious of her utter want of appetite i am not hungry but i will select a nice bit for you the sable waiter when he came to remove the dishes really looked sad to see how little they had eaten gertrude drew out her purse and after bestowing a fee upon the man inquired whom she should pay for the meal pay miss said the man grinning bless my stars de gentleman pays for all who what gentleman asked gertrude in surprise but before the man could give her any reply another white-aproned individual appeared and beckoned to his fellow-waiter who thereupon snatched up his tray and trotted off bending beneath its weight and leaving gertrude and emily to wonder who the benevolent gentleman might be they finally came to the conclusion that this unexpected attention was due to the thoughtfulness of dr jeremy who must have given orders to that effect before he left the boat and great was the unmerited praise and the undeserved gratitude which the doctor received that day for an act of considerate politeness of which the old gentleman with all his kindness of heart would never have dreamed dinner concluded emily again laid down advised gertrude to do the same and supposing that her advice was being followed slept for an hour while her companion sat by watching the peaceful slumber of her friend and carefully and noiselessly brushing away every fly that threatened to disturb a repose much needed by miss graham who could in her feeble state of health ill afford to spare the rest she had been deprived of for one or two previous nights what time is it asked she on awaking nearly a quarter past three replied gertrude glancing at her watch a beautiful gift from a class of her former pupils emily started up we can't be far from new york said she where are we now i don't know exactly replied gertrude i think we must be near the palisades if you will stay here i will go and see she passed across the saloon and was about ascending the staircase when she was startled and alarmed by a rushing sound mingled with the hurried tread of feet she kept on however though once or twice jostled by persons with frightened faces who crowded past and pressed forward to learn the cause of the commotion she had just gained the head of the stairway and was looking fearfully around her when a man rushed past gasping for breath his face of an ashen paleness and shrieking the hurried word of alarm fire fire a second more and a scene of dismay and confusion ensued too terrible for description shrieks rose upon the air groans and cries of despair burst forth from hearts that were breaking with fear for others or maddened at the certainty of their own destruction 
Each called upon each for help, when all were alike helpless. Those who had never prayed before poured out their souls in the fervent ejaculation, Oh my God! Many a brain reeled in that time of darkness and peril. Many a brave spirit sickened and sunk under the fearfulness of their hour. Gertrude straightened her slight figure, and with her dark eyes almost starting from their sockets, gazed around upon her every side. All was alike tumult, but the destroyer was as yet discernible in one direction only. Towards the center of the boat, where the machinery, heated to the last degree, had fired the parched and inflammable vessel, a huge volume of flame was already visible, darting out its fiery fangs, and causing the stoutest hearts to shrink and crouch in horror. She gave but one glance, then bounded down the stairs, bent solely on rejoining Emily. But she was arrested at the very onset. One step only had she taken when she felt herself encircled by a pair of powerful arms, and a movement made to again rush with her upon deck, while a familiar voice gasped forth the words, "'Gertrude, my child, my own darling, be quiet, be quiet, I will save you.' Well might he urge her to be quiet, for she was struggling madly. "'No, no!' shouted she. "'Emily, Emily, let me die, let me die, but I must find Emily.' "'Where is she?' asked Mr. Phillips, for it was he. "'There, there,' pointed Gertrude, in the cabin. "'Let me go, let me go.' He cast one look around him, then said, in a firm tone, "'Be calm, my child, I can save you both. Follow me closely.' With a leap he cleared the staircase, and rushed into the cabin. In the farthest corner knelt Emily, her head thrown back, her hands clasped, and her face like the face of an angel. Gertrude and Mr. Phillips were by her side in an instant. He stooped to lift her in his arms, Gertrude at the same time exclaiming, "'Come, Emily, come, he will save us.' But Emily resisted. "'Leave me, Gertrude, leave me and save yourselves.' "'Oh,' said she, looking imploringly in the face of the stranger, "'leave me and save my child.' Ere the words had left her lips, however, she was borne halfway across the saloon, Gertrude following closely. "'If we can cross to the bows of the boat, we are safe,' said Mr. Phillips, in a husky voice. To do so, however, proved impossible. The whole centre of the boat was now one sheet of flame. "'Good heavens!' exclaimed he. "'We are too late. We must go back.' A moment more, and they had with much difficulty regained the long saloon. And now the boat, which as soon as the fire was discovered, had been turned towards the shore, struck upon the rocks, and parted in the middle. Her bows were consequently brought near to the land, near enough to almost ensure the safety of such persons as were at that part of the vessel. But alas for those near the stern, which was far out in the river, while the breeze which blew fresh from the shore fostered and spread the devouring flame in the very direction to place those who yet clung to the broken fragment between two equally fatal elements. Mr. Phillips' first thought, on gaining the saloon, was to beat down a window-sash, spring upon the guards, and drag Emily and Gertrude after him. Some ropes hung upon the guards. He seized one, and with the ease and skill of an old sailor, made it fast to the boat, then turned to Gertrude, who stood firm and unwavering by his side. "'Gertrude,' said he, speaking distinctly and steadily, "'I shall swim to the shore with Emily. If the fire comes too near, cling to the guards. As a last chance, hold on to the rope.' "'Keep your veil flying. I shall return.' "'No, no,' cried Emily. "'Gertrude, go first. "'Hush, Emily,' exclaimed Gertrude. "'We shall both be saved.' "'Cling to my shoulder in the water, Emily,' said Mr. Phillips, "'utterly regardless of her protestations. "'He took her once more in his arms. "'There was a splash, and they were gone. "'At the same instant, Gertrude was seized from behind. "'She turned, and found herself grasped by Isabel Clinton, 
who kneeling upon the platform, and frantic with terror, was clinging so closely to her as to utterly disable them both, at the same time shrieking, in pitiable tones, "'Oh, Gertrude, Gertrude, save me!' Gertrude tried to lift her up, but she was immovable, and without making the slightest effort to help herself, was madly winding Gertrude's thick travelling dress around her person, as if for a protection from the flames." while ever, as they darted forth new and nearer lightnings, the frightened girl would cling more wildly to her companion in danger, at the same time praying, with piercing shrieks, that she would help and save her. But so long as Gertrude stood thus imprisoned, and restrained by the arms which were clasped entirely around her, she was powerless to do anything for her own or Isabel's salvation. She looked forth in the direction Mr. Phillips had taken, and to her joy she saw him returning. He had deposited Emily on board a boat, which was fortunately at hand, and was now approaching to claim another burden. At the same instant, a volume of flame swept so near the spot where the two girls were stationed, that Gertrude, who was standing upright, felt the scorching heat, and both were almost suffocated with smoke. And now a new and heroic resolution took possession of the mind of Gertrude. One of them could be saved, for Mr. Phillips was within a few rods of the wreck, it should be Isabel. She had called on her for protection, and it should not be denied her. Moreover, Willie loved Isabel. Willie would weep for her loss, and that must not be. He would not weep for Gertrude, at least not much, and if one must die, it should be she. With Gertrude, to resolve was to do. Isabel, said she, in a tone of such severity as one might employ towards a refractory child, with whom, as in this instance, milder remonstrances had failed. Isabel, do you hear me? Stand up on your feet. Do as I tell you, and you shall be saved. Do you hear me, Isabel? She heard, shuddered, but did not move. Gertrude stooped down, and forcibly wrenching apart the hands which were convulsively clenched, said, with a sternness which necessity alone exhorted from her, Isabel, if you do as I tell you, you will be on shore in five minutes, safe and well. But if you stay there behaving like a foolish child, we shall both be burnt to death. For mercy's sake, get up quickly and listen to me. Isabel rose, fixed her eyes upon Gertrude's calm, steadfast face, and said, in a moaning tone, What must I do? I will try. Do you see that person swimming this way? Yes. He will come to this spot, hold fast to that piece of rope, and I will let you gradually down to the water. But stay, and snatching the deep blue veil from her own head, she tied it round the neck and flung it over the fair hair of Isabel. Mr. Phillips was within a rod or two. "'Now, Isabel, now!' exclaimed Gertrude, "'or you will be too late.' Isabel took the rope between her hands, but shrunk back, appalled at the sight of the water. One more hot burst of fire, however, which issued forth through the window, gave her renewed courage to brave a mere seeming danger, and aided by Gertrude, who helped her over the guards, she allowed herself to be let down to the water's edge. Mr. Phillips was fortunately just in time to receive her for she was so utterly exhausted with fear that she could not have clung long to the rope. Gertrude had no opportunity to follow them with her eye. Her own situation, it may well be believed, was now all engrossing. The flames had reached her. She could hardly breathe, so enveloped was she in clouds of dark smoke, which had more than once been relieved by streaks of fire, which had darted out within a foot of her. She could hesitate no longer. She seized the piece of rope, now left vacant by Isabel who was rapidly approaching a place of safety, and, grasping it with all her might, leaped over the side of the fast-consuming vessel. How long her strength would have enabled her thus to cling, 
how long the guards, as yet unapproached by the fire, would have continued a sure support for the cable. There was no opportunity to test, for just as her feet touched the cold surface of the river, the huge wheel, which was but a little distance from where she hung, gave one sudden, expiring revolution, sounding like a death dirge through the water, which came foaming and dashed up against the side of the boat, and as it swept away again, bore with it the light form of Gertrude. End of chapter 41